You know, I'm always mindful at Christmas season that, you know, we've heard the story over and over again, Christmas story, each of us have heard the story, especially around this time, and it's late at night, it's kind of quiet, usually not as quiet on a Sunday morning as it is tonight, your eyes might glass over, your mind might drift away, you may not be paying attention right now, I want to wake you all up, got a lot of things going on, maybe a million things to do when you get home, a million things to do before tomorrow when family comes and visit with you, it's just want to remind us how important it is to pay attention. It reminds me of a story, actually, of, of a old Jewish man who, on the break of dawn each and every day, he went to the Western Wall in Jerusalem. You may have heard it called the Wailing Wall, maybe seen it on TV. And he would pray fervently at this Wailing Wall day and night. One day, a journalist from the London Times who observed him do this day after day asked him, you've come every day to this wall. How long have you done this, and what are you praying for? And the old man said, I have come here for 25 years to this wall, and I pray for peace, and I pray for reconciliation among the people of this land. It's been so divided by hate and conflict. And a journalist said, how does it make you feel to come to this wall every day for 25 years and pray for those things, yet there's so much conflict that still remains? And the old man looked at her and sadly said, like I'm talking to a wall. (laughs) My hope is that You're tracking with me just for a few minutes as we see this narrative, as we look to the word of God and we we see what the Apostle Paul has to tell us. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a young pastor, uh, a son in the faith. His name is Timothy. And he wrote this letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. And he's giving him instructions. And in the midst of this instructions, he gives us something very important to say about Christmas this, uh, as we celebrate that together. So let me read to you 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. It says this, 12 through 15. I thank him, Paul talking, who gave me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a prosecutor, insolent, opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorant, ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And verse 15 is what we're going to look at mostly tonight. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Some of your Bibles might say the chief of sinners. So just three things tonight to consider this Christmas message. We'll consider together the character of the Christmas message. Then we'll look at the content of the Christmas message. And finally, the confession of the Christmas message. Number one, the character. Before the Apostle Paul, in chapter 15, gives us his very succinct gospel message, this, this Christmas message in chapter 15, second part, he tells Timothy, this young protege, that he wants him to know the unwavering characteristics of the gospel. And you find that in chapter 15, at the beginning of chapter 15, I'll put it up in a minute. The saying is trustworthy and, and deserving of full acceptance. That, now, that being written from Paul is, means something, means something very heavy. He, he, he begins, and look at chapter, verse 12 with me, he begins really not talking about the characteristics of the gospel, but his own characteristics first. You see that in verse 12. That, that God had given Paul the strength not only to believe on Christ, but to serve him. 
to serve him faithfully, that Christ had appointed him as an apostle, a sent one to the service of Jesus Christ. And it says that Jesus judged him faithful, even though, look what it says, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent opponent. Paul is saying that God judged him faithful because, not because he, he was trying really hard to be a good person. He was doing the best he could to trying to get it right. Even when he says in verse 13, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul is not saying God showed me mercy because I was just ignorant. Like God looks down on the ignorant and says, you know, I feel bad for you. Look how ignorant you are. That would apply to me, I'm sure. It's sort of like, but also I didn't know it was a 35 mile an hour speed limit. And he'll say ignorance of the law is what? No excuse. Doing 75 and a 35, you're going to get a ticket. Paul was not ignorant of what God demanded of him. He knew. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He was a Bible thumper. His ignorance, look what it says, his refusal is not to believe on God. It's unbelief. Some of you may not know this, but Paul's name was once Saul. Before he changed his name, God changed his name. By his own admission and by the historical record of Scripture, Paul was a, before he got converted to Christ, was a, was a terrorist. He had grown up in a very strict religious home. He learned from a very famous rabbi. Saul was zealous for his faith, leading Paul down the path of religious hatred, if you weren't part of him. At the end of Acts chapter 7, there's a man by the name of Stephen who was stoned to death. And Paul was holding the garments of those, Paul Saul was holding the garments of those who stoned Stephen. You see, it takes a lot of energy to stone someone to death. So they take off their outer garment and hand it to someone that they trust, someone who approves of the killing. And that was Paul, that was Saul. In fact, at the end, beginning of chapter 8 of Acts, it says that uh, great persecution broke out and Paul Saul was ravaging the church. Entering house by house, dragging off men and women, he put them into prison. Paul was determined to eradicate Christianity, ruthless in his pursuit as long as he believed he was acting in the name of God. Isn't that scary? How terrifying a religious terrorist who believes he's doing the will of the Lord by killing innocent people. He even said of himself in Acts, I prisoned people, put them to death, beat them, locked them up. Many of the saints, the Christians, I persecuted them to foreign cities. And we know that Paul came then, came face to face. He was on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus with letters to go and persecute and put to death Christians in Damascus. And he saw a great light. In fact, Jesus met him on the road and knocked him off his horse. Jesus revealed himself And God saw that religious, zealot, intense, murderous Pharisee will be just as fiery and zealous and intense as a believer, but this time he would love people. He would love them, and he would love to proclaim the good news of the gospel. That is why in verse 14 it says, And the grace of the Lord overflowed. God's grace is unmerited favor overflowed for me with faith and love. That is in Christ Jesus. Love and grace radically changed the Apostle Paul, his character. God's saving grace was operating in and through this Apostle. Saul became Paul. So when Paul says the gospel message is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, he speaks to someone who's been radically transformed by the gospel. 
His character, his very being, was radically transformed by the gospel. Now he says it's trustworthy. What does it mean that it's trustworthy? I think the best example is when a small child, maybe a grandchild, I'm a grandfather now, so I'm using grandfather illustrations. (laughs) Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, pop, papa. And you tell that child, jump. He's on a ledge, a high ledge, or from a pool that he could drown in. And he sees his mom, he sees his dad, he sees his papa, and he knows. And he just jumps, right? This, this, this smile on his face, without reservation, it just leaps into the safety of his parents' arms. Trustworthy. And notice what he says next. It deserves something. This message The characteristic of this message deserves something, a certain response, an acceptance that is fitting. Not a half-hearted acceptance, an intellectual agreement. It doesn't fit this response of the trustworthy character of the message. It's trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance. So what Paul is about to tell us, this content which we get to next, what he's about to tell us, explain to us, is so immensely true and and enormously important that it deserves an eager embrace, a wholehearted embrace, a complete and total surrender of one's heart. If the message is received with eyes glazed over, mind wandering, like we're talking to a wall, we're not getting it. The Christmas message is stunning. It's trustworthy in its character, and it's worthy of full and wholehearted acceptance. And what is that message? He makes it very clear. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus came into the world, which means that Christ existed before the first advent, before that morning, that Christmas morning in Bethlehem. He existed in eternity, and he came into the world. You know, the Bible opens up in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. In the New Testament, John 1-1, in the beginning was the Word. John knows what he's talking about. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's hard to wrap our head around that Jesus was eternal, because everything we know has been created. All the people we know has birthdays. But the Son of God existed long ago, before the birthday in Bethlehem, when the baby was born. And one of the wonders of Christmas is this vulnerability of this eternal God in glory came down into the world to to a messed up, jacked up, sinful, broken world. You know why? Because love sends. Love gives. Love meets needs. Christ Jesus came into the world. He took on flesh and bones. That's what the incarnation, in flesh, he became a man who's fully God and fully man so that, as our text tells us, what he can do is save sinners. Matthew one twenty one, Jennifer read, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Why are we going to call him Jesus? Because Jesus means salvation. Matthew one twenty one. you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You see, unlike all other philosophies, all other teachers, all other religions, Christianity is the only religion on the planet that's for sinful people. Everyone and every other message is you have to be good. You have to, you have to try hard to be reconciled to God. You must be good and do good things in order to be good enough. But Christ came for sinners. 
It doesn't say Christ Jesus came into the world to save those who earned it or those who have it all together or those whose good deeds in their thinking outweigh their bad deeds. Christianity is not about what you do. Christianity is not about what you do to reach God. It's about what God has done to reach you. Sin is not only for those, sin is not only those people you read about either. We, he came to save sinners and you may, may, maybe you're not connecting with that. And you say, well, those people need salvation. Sin is not just your actions, my actions. Sin is our disposition. It's a mindset that prefers things other than God. Sin is exchanging God for creative things and belittles God. It demeans God. It's rebellion against God. It's saying to things, creative things, you're better. You're more worthy. I need you. Don't let me down. Sin is not just defined as doing bad things, but making good things into the ultimate things. Building your identity, your deepest hopes through power, approval, career, an individual's love, your family, your kids, your grandkids, your looks, all causes you may be involved in. When you look to those things as the ultimate things, it becomes idolatry. When we say, this is much better than you, God. I've got to have this. This is superior and better than you. For Paul, it was his religion. It could be religion. Paul, his moral rightness came crashing down when he saw his sin as he looked into the face of Christ. In fact, Paul says in Philippians that now that he has become a Christian, that I may be found in Christ, having a righteousness not from my moral goodness, not from the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Saul, the religious Pharisee, thought he had to ascend to God, to to climb this ladder of good works. Yet Paul, the Christian, realized that God incarnate came down to save him. And some of you might be thinking, really, this is the 21st century. Are are you really talking about sin? (laughs) Haven't we become better than that? Haven't we uh, been involved better than that? We're still talking about sin in the 21st century? In the movie Liar, Liar, Jim Carrey, some of you saw a lawyer, Fletcher Reed. He's a pathological liar. And his son makes a wish that his dad would just tell the truth for one day. One day. And magically it happens. Impossible for Fletcher to tell a lie about anything. As funny as that movie is, and it's a, it's a comedy and it'll make you laugh, I wonder how funny if it would be if that happened to you. If that happened to me. For 24 hours, your mouth unfiltered. Everything you thought, Everything you felt, you acted upon. Would that day be a fun-filled day or would that be horrible? Yeah. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin. Because at the core of our being, we know that we're sinners. You see, the character of the Christian message is rooted in the trustworthiness of God and the content of the Christmas message that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And now the confession. I have character up there. I apologize. The confession of the Christian message. The confession. Look what he says. The saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. That's Paul's confession. In complete humility, Paul looks back and goes, even me. <laughs> like no one in my class ever thought 
that I would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Nobody. Like, can that guy really be saved? That was me, by the way. Like, not him. But God love knows no bounds. Paul's not just declaring that Christ came to save sinners. He's saying he came to save chief sinners like me. <laughs> and look what he says. He of whom I am the foremost, right? Paul's confession is personal. The message of Christmas is a trustworthy message deserving of full and personal acceptance. Paul needed forgiveness. It's not enough to just say Christ came into the world to save sinners in general. It's a personal response in faith. A a response in faith that looks to the cross, the work of Jesus, and say he died for my sins. My sins were paid for. The many times I have committed cosmic treason and idolatry by trusting and loving other things other than God have been forgiven. That's what it means to save sinners. And Jesus always stands ready to receive a sinner who turns from being their own saviors, their own Lord, trusting in themselves and put their trust in him. His arms are always open wide and he'll receive all those who by faith put their trust in him. You can't do enough to cause Jesus to turn his back on you. The love of Jesus more than overflowed for the worst of sinners named Paul, which means it is sufficient for you this evening. There is good news. First, there is bad news. That sin removes God from his rightful throne, from our hearts, we make, himself, we make our, our own authority, we have our own priorities, and rebellion, that brings judgment against us, against me, against you. And if you and I were ever have the hope and to have freedom from guilt and eternal punishment that we deserve, we need a Savior who came down from heaven to save sinners like me. There's only one and only one alone, and his name is Jesus. And how could that be? Because, listen, Jesus Christ came into the world. He left heaven's glory and stepped into humanity, took on flesh and bones. He became just like us to identify with us yet without sin. He was born. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He died a substitutable death for you and for me on the cross and rose from the dead and promises and will return to restore and renew all things. That's the Christmas story. That's the Christmas story. It's about grace. Now, let's just take a minute and a half and watch and listen to our beloved Linus tell, retell the Christmas story. We're going to watch this movie for one moment, and I want you to just keep an eye on his blanket. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men.
That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. <laughs> Do you notice? He tells a Christmas story and he, he, he just drops his blanket. The thing he clings to, that which gives him comfort and security, was no longer needed. The character of the Christmas message rooted in God is received by looking away from the things of this world to the things we are grasping to and holding on to and looking to the beauty and the glory and the incalculable worth of Christ who came and died and rose again so that we can be reconciled to him. And anyone who puts their faith in Christ, his saving work on the cross will know forgiveness of sins and be reconciled to God. This is a gift of grace. It cannot be earned, only received by faith. You know, we love to sing at Christmas time. What song will you be singing this Christmas? As the band comes up and just gets ready to play, let, 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 me, let me give you two songs to think about. The first one is, Santa Claus is coming to town. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Why? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for. His eyes are on you. You better watch out. The all-seeing, the all-knowing Santa Claus is a legalist. I'm telling you. That's not good news. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Not good news. That's an anti-gospel song. Sung by Pharisees. Christianity alone is good news for sinful people. God in Christ does not look at people and treat them as their sins deserve. But Jesus is our substitute. He was treated for our sins, what they deserve. The character and content and confession of the Christmas message isn't about who's naughty or nice. You're naughty. You're welcome. It's about the naughty list. Our list was nailed to the cross. Colossians says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside our guilt and nailed it to the cross. Colossians 2.14. That's a song worth singing. Our next song we're going to sing is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Listen to these words. Born to set thy people free from the, our fears and sins released. Let us find our rest in thee. Hope of all the earth, joy of every longing heart. By thine own sufficient merits, raise us up thy glorious throne. Born to die for lowly sinners, bruised to crush the serpent's curse. Come, thou shining righteous Savior. Come, make heaven, earth anew. Come to claim your saints forever, evermore, to live in you. So let's not stop this evening. Let's not stop with the message of the birth of Christ itself. As awesome and miraculous the first Christmas was, let's press on tonight until you can say the message of Christmas happened in your hearts. Place your trust in for your life, for your eternity in Christ alone, who came that day long ago from a faraway place to save sinners like you and me. 
Have you trusted Christ this Christmas? Its character is trustworthy because God is. Its content is true. He came to save sinners like me and you. And a confession by faith alone will bring you into a reconciled relationship with your God, your creator. Sins forgiven. Eternity yours. Relationship with God established from this moment on for all eternity. Do you know Christ tonight? Don't leave this place without accepting him, without opening your heart to him. Worship him as the one true God who came to save sinners like me and like you. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you did not leave us in our sin. You could have and been just. But because you're also loving, you sent your son to take on humanity to identify and became our sin offering who gave his life so that we can have life, who lived the perfect life we could never live and died an atoning death for our sins. And Father, there's someone here that has never trusted you and you're tugging on their heart. God, we pray by the power of your spirit, you would grant them faith, that they would turn from their sins and the things that they're clinging to and holding on to and trusting in that will never give them life. It makes lots of promises but never fulfills it. But you alone make promises that you will always keep. So, Father, we pray that you would give them faith to turn from their sins and to invite Jesus Christ to be the Savior and Lord of their life and have eternal life with him beginning this Christmas evening. In Jesus' name, amen.